Less Doing, episode 96. Ari talks with Michael Gelb of Creativity On Demand about Tai Chi, getting in the zone, and being creative every day. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is Ari Mizell. This episode of the Less Doing Podcast is sponsored by followup.cc. Followup.cc is an email service that allows you to set follow-up emails automatically from any email service that you use, whether you're on Gmail or your mobile phone or Outlook, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is put any time period you want at followup.cc in the BCC field. So for example, you could send an email to a client and then in the BCC field, you might say three days at followup.cc or one week at followup.cc. And when that time period comes around, you'll get a reminder back in the form of that original email and it'll include a snooze functionality. It's one of my top recommendations for productivity and I actually recommend people can use it to get rid of their to-do list entirely. If you use the code more living, you'll receive 20% off any basic or professional plan. So I definitely recommend everybody check out followup.cc. That's right. Follow up CC is really awesome. And again, my favorite feature is CCing someone at CCing follow up DC, CC. CCing follow up CC, and it will bug your you and the recipient um, to do what it is you ask them to do. That's right. In the BCC field, only you get the reminder. In the CC field, you both get the reminder. Good morning, Celix. Morning. How's it going over there? Going very well. I'm in my new office. Still in the same house, but new office. I've moved things around, and so I have a, uh, I'm standing at my workstation again, which I sorely missed before. I, I much prefer standing. I think the energy is much better. I feel better when I'm standing. So, But if I start to move away from the microphone, you're going to have to let me know. Yeah. Yeah, you actually might want to move it a little closer if you can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The closer you are, the better. Yeah. This, this is why it's good to have Felix on the podcast because I would do the entire episode and realize that nobody had heard anything. So, yeah. Well, I've got to be good for something. <laughs> so, today, this is episode 96, and I interviewed Michael Gelb. This was really cool. He wrote a book called Creativity on Demand and basically talked about that how to get creative sort of whenever you want. And he has all these different little tricks and methods to do that. So, it's an awesome interview. And a lot of really actionable stuff there. Wow, I can't wait to hear that, especially for me as a composer. Yeah, I thought that you'd like this actually, and yeah. I'm I'm curious to see uh, what you think. By the way, as far as the the ads go for the podcast, first of all, I hope people have not necessarily been enjoying them, but that they they're not intrusive and that they're providing you with good information and as well as the discount code. But I do want to say that if there are people listening who would like to sponsor the show, please get in touch with us because our li- our listenership is growing rapidly and it's cool to have ads on the show for things that we like. So if you're interested, just get in touch with me by uh, going to lessdoing.com and using the contact page over there. So the first link I want to talk about today is Samsara Fitness. And I found out about this from my good buddy, Ben Greenfield. Mm-hmm. Really cool thing. So they make a special kind of treadmill. And uh, you may not know this, but you know, I, I mentioned EMF radiation last week because of the, uh, what was it? The Reparo, the Reparo underwear. The pants? The, yeah, the underwear. Yeah, well, right, the pants, sorry, yes. Uh, the underwear, as I would say, but they prevent you from getting exposed to EMF 
EMF radiation, which is electromagnetic frequency. Now, what I didn't realize is that treadmills are one of the like worst offenders when it comes to creating electromagnetic radiation. And I guess it makes sense because it's spinning and spinning and spinning around a thing and it just creates all this static electricity, basically. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So the Samsara Fitness <clears throat> is a treadmill that is powered by the runner. Yeah. So this is so there's no it's not really it, yeah That's so it's clever. it's not using electricity and basically what it is is it's it's like this like um it's a little bit of like a banana shape and yeah you, slightly curved I'm just right so that. as you walk on it it moves with you so it's it's almost like if you ever seen one of those old like virtual reality simulators where you could actually move around, you know, you would, you would take a step in one way and then it would move under you. So that's mm -hmm. what this does. And what's really cool is you can actually go up to 12 miles an hour on this, which is a full on sprint, you know, so most yeah, people can't yeah. do that. So you can really use this to, to do all of your treadmilling needs, no power. It's really kind of a beautiful thing. And it's great. So uh, Ben Greenfield has this in his office at, at his standing desk because he doesn't want to have electromagnetic radiation. And it's a really cool looking treadmill. So yeah. if you are in the market for a treadmill or you want to have a treadmill desk, I think this is a really good way to do it because you're controlling it. You don't have to worry about uh, any of that EMF radiation. And also it doesn't use any electricity. So it's very efficient. So check it out. The Samsara Fitness true form treadmill they also have ones that go in the pool so my mom actually has been into this thing recently it's aqua cycling or aqua biking and it's a bike that goes it's like a spin bike that goes in the pool looks wow. really looks kind of ridiculous to me but it's a it seems like a hell of a workout and she loves it so this is a treadmill that can go in the pool so you can actually do treadmill running in the pool which is great because you're getting that resistance without any of the impact okay yeah wow that's cool so this week, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is, uh, what's it, the, the You Are Not So Smart podcast by, by uh, Dave McCraney. And he wrote the, the You Are Not So Smart. He also wrote the book, You Are Now Less Dumb. And what he talks about is different logical fallacies. So this week, he talked about the post hoc fallacy. And I wanted to tell you about this. And I thought the listeners would find this really interesting as well. So the, the whole, it, it's basically post hoc ergo propter hoc. So that's Latin. And basically what it says is after this, therefore, because of this. And what it is, is our tendency as humans to basically create in our minds, these correlations that don't really exist. Like I do this and then this happens. So then there, it's because of this. All right. It's like one of the most common logical fallacies there is and one of the examples that he gives gives which is a big one is have you ever seen those like holographic bands that people wear on their wrists they're like the power balance bands i don't think so no. okay so th this was huge actually it still is really popular but this was enormously popular for years with athletes and actors and even president clinton had one and l literally it's a rubber like bracelet with a hologram on it and the company claimed, you know, power balance. It makes you more balanced and blood flow increases and you have better chi and like you're smarter and you can, your muscles work better. I mean, absurd things, but they sold like $34 million of these in one year. And the company has actually since gone bankrupt and had to make a public explanation that they made all these false claims and that it has no effect at all. It's literally a piece of rubber with a hologram on it. Oh no, it's like Steve Martin in The Jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... That some Chinese company bought up the brand and is redistributing now, and people they're still for sale. You can still buy power balance bracelets. So it was one. This was like the perfect example of post hoc fallacy, where it's like 
I'm wearing this and now I'm doing better at sports or whatever. So it has to be because of this. Okay. So sort of placebo effect. Right. But it's not placebo effect though, because placebo effect can actually be a real thing. Placebo yeah. effect can, you can actually have, you know, better sleep if you take a fake right. sleeping pill. Right. You know. It's the most powerful effect. Right. So then, this yeah. is, this is actually where you're saying like, because of this, this is happening. So you're actually creating mm -hmm. the correlation. It's not even the effect necessarily. Um, you know, so like another good example of this is where you combine it actually, where you combine the placebo effect and this would be like homeopathic medicine. So most, the average cold lasts seven days. That's just an average, right? Most people won't take a homeopathic remedy at the first sign of cold, except people who are really into it. But some people will wait till they're really kind of at the worst before they're like, they'll just take anything. Mm -hmm. And then they start to feel better. But it's not necessarily because of the medicine. It's probably because the cold is just running its course. Okay. So that, that's another sort of logical fallacy. Anyway, I just thought this was really interesting. And when we're talking, you know, a lot of times I talk with less doing, I'm getting a crackling sound, Felix. Like a digital crackling or? Yes. Like a static crackling right now. Uh, um, you don't hear that? No, I'm not hearing anything. It's probably, should I call you back? No, no. Well, it's okay. It seems okay right now. Talk. Um, talking. Okay. Well, Can you hear anything? No. Okay. No, it's it's gone away. Yes. Was it really loud or was it really quiet? No, it was loud. Okay. So I'm noting that down. That's like okay. Nope. There it is okay. again. There it is again. Okay. Uh. Okay. Well, it's gone. Let's let's <laughs> let's try to keep going. So, uh, post talk. Sorry. What was that shit? What was I saying? Uh, you were talking about the post hoc fallacy and uh, not quite sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, the homeopathic. Okay, right. Oh, so, yeah, the homey. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think you finished up. I did finish up. Okay. Oh, I, anyway, so, you know, the, one of the reasons that I found this interesting and why I think it's relevant is that all the time, a lot of times in less doing, I'm talking about self-awareness and, and sort of becoming aware of cause and effect. So sometimes you really do need to just take a second and question why is it that this is actually happening and try to find a correlation rather than just assuming one. And that's really where a lot of the self-tracking comes in because you can quantify this stuff and put real numbers to it. So avoid the post-hoc fallacy. <laughs> right. Basically. Uh, although it's kind of impossible. There's so many logical fallacies. It's pretty hard for us to get rid of them all. Uh, and this one is another, there's a th couple more things. One, this is a really basic little thing. I just thought this was kind of beautiful. Uh, blue bottle, you know, blue bottle coffee. Uh, I don't know. No, tell me about so it. It's just one of those. It's like one of those artisanal coffee brands. It's, it's actually, it is very good coffee. And they, they used to have a, a shop in uh, Soho where I was living and uh, it was just, it's just nice coffee, but they have this new little travel kit. So uh, Timbuktu, which is a, bag of uh they make mostly messenger brands me messenger bags but then there's also blue bottle coffee they made a travel kit and i just like these kinds of things it's a really elegant production basically it's a little sort of satchel and it has everything you need to make coffee for two people so it has the gr the hand grinder and the drip thing for the and it has two enamel tumblers with little you know yeah, co coffee make a great gift any coffee lover who uh, yeah is absolutely going traveling somewhere i thought it looked really cool yeah absolutely and the other thing is that 
it's if you want to make bulletproof coffee, you could do that on the go as well. Dave Asprey talks about how he makes bulletproof coffee with just a hot cup of water, basically at Starbucks and something with dust with the grounds. But so if you really wanted to do it, you could. But for those people who kind of need that fix and they want to do it properly, this is a, a really, really cool little kit. So wow. yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there. And then there was there's two two more things. Okay, so one is this. This is really cool, and I'd love to see some examples of people using this, but it's called Get Notified App. Oh, yeah, this looks impressive. Did you take a look at this? Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, I did. So basically what this is is you say what you want to be notified about, and then this is actually reviewed by a human, and then they will sort of follow up with a request, but they give some examples like notify me when a new Italian restaurant opens in my neighborhood. Uh, Notify me when my blog is mentioned by an influential person uh, notify me when this when a stock price goes up to a certain amount so th- some of these things are things you could probably do with ifttt but some of these are more specific like a new italian restaurant opening in your city i'm not sure of a way to automate that necessarily so this is pretty cool and it's 99 cents per notification so pretty cool okay i'd love yeah, cool. i'd love to see how people use this you know like notify me i think of something like really random like notify me if somebody on Twitter with more than 10,000 followers follows me, you know, something like that. Something, mm. I'd love to see how they sort of come up with this and, and how they actually monitor this. It'd be really interesting, but get notified app. So check yeah, that. very cool. Something else to check out. And then there's an article that I, I want to have a little discussion with a discussion about with you. Uh, there was an article in time magazine called very good and very bad news in the vaccine wars. So, I just want to put this out there that my kids are vaccinated and I believe that vaccines are a good thing and that kids should get vaccinations. I think that if you want to argue with the schedule of vaccines, that's fine. I I, I do agree that sometimes giving kids three or four vaccines at a time is maybe not the best thing. And we have spread out some of the vaccines that we've given our kids. And it's actually interesting having lived in the city in New York city and then living out in the, in Long Island. Now the difference in the schedule is because when, Ben was born and we were going to a doctor in the city literally every month for the first year of his life. He was getting a vaccination. I think you had the same experience uh, in L.A. Yeah, that's right. But now I don't know if you noticed, but out here it's like every three to six months there's a vaccine. Like it's not it's it's a little bit more loose and you still get you're still getting the vaccines, but they're just spread out a little more. Yeah. So I, I think that vaccines are a good thing. I think that we've prevented a lot of really horrible diseases from existing. Yeah. And Honestly, it, it's very upsetting to me when you find uh, about people who, without looking at the science or without doing their homework, just decide not to do vaccinations. And if they want to do that, that's fine. But then having them interact with kids who do have vaccinations. I just, I just, um, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> there are no words. I just can't understand parents who don't understand. They don't vaccinate their children. I think it's chronically irresponsible. Well, and, and I um, agree. And, and I, know, we'll, so I know it's a controversial subject. Yeah, we we may, just, may we may lose some listeners, but we that's may okay. Lose some listeners, but it's but this is. I, I think someone who doesn't chooses to vaccinate their children needs to see. You know, you see, look how Ebola can spread. Um, now it's it's not as you know these diseases are a lot more can be a lot more contagious than that. And well, well, th- this is to see photos of children who've you know, what these diseases that we vaccinate for look like. I think they might have second thoughts. Well, the thing that gets me is that it's such an overprivileged 
concept to me to say yeah. that you don't want a vaccine. So first of all, they've shown this. This is this is what the article talks about, how they're seeing, like, for instance, in uh, Alabama and uh, Louisiana and Texas, they have vaccination rates of 99.7, which yeah. is which is great. Yeah, I, I looked at this article. Yeah, yeah okay. So, yeah, exactly. which is which is great. And, and it's important to note this, that to have herd immunity, which is where the vaccinated uh, the vaccinated population basically protects the entire population, you need to have 95% of that population vaccinated. Okay. Now, you're seeing rates as low as 70% in certain populations. So that means that even if you get vaccinations, if the rest of the, the if there's a large group of people and a large group of kids mm-hmm. around you that are not vaccinated, they can still harbor bacteria and viruses and they can still grow superbugs that can then hurt yeah. the people who are vaccinated. Yeah. So what they showed was that the pockets of vaccination where, where people opt out of vaccinations is all is always in these sort of affluent communities uh, in, on the coastal places and around like affluent universities. Yeah. So this is like first world problems where wealthy individuals or affluent individuals are deciding that they think that they know better and yeah. that they're listening to media or whatever they want to. And they've decided that they don't want to get their children vaccinated. And there's a there's a number of ways we could go and argue about this. And, and but the thing is, is I, I had a I was on a panel a few months ago on, at Founders Forum with Scott Harrison and Scott started charity yeah. charity water, which is one of the yeah. one of the largest clean water charities in the world. And, and Scott has just done some amazing, amazing work throughout the world. And there was somebody in the audience talking about this and talking about how people in sub-Saharan Africa or in uh, like third world countries where they don't have access to this stuff, how they, for example, like basically like ignorance is bliss. Like they, you know, they don't know what the outside world is. They don't know what these things can hurt them. And it's just sort of like a local problem and they're happy. And Scott leaned over to me and whispered and he was like, yeah, they're happy until their child dies of diarrhea. Oh, really? You know, and it's like because they don't have the access to clean water, they don't have these basic vaccines. So there are literally kids, there are literally parents who would kill to have their kids get vaccinations. Yeah, right. But yeah. there are certain people in these affluent communities who just decide, no, no, I don't want to get my child vaccinated. I, I just, part of the thing is I just don't understand. I don't understand why it is that they don't want to get vaccinated. Because saying that it's not necessary is just not a convincing ar- argument. Is it that they don't want to have their child be upset by the shot? I mean, Julian had his, his flu shot you know, the other day, and he didn't even cry. He was, he didn't even blink. I was amazed. I think, I, um, I think that's part of it. I think a lot, full, I, but I, I just, it's just, nah. well, I think also, so unfortunately, well, no, it's fine. And I think unfortunately <laughs> a lot of it is, uh, you know, Jenny McCarthy just telling people yeah. that, that vaccines cause autism and, and which was a total hoax, which was revealed as a complete, um, total fallacy. And yeah, yes. Even, completely disproven in England. And it came out of, you know, this doctor in England that, that basically made it up. Well, and she also... I'm probably getting my facts slightly wrong. No, 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 no. And she's also happened. sort of yeah. changed her story and said that, no, she's not anti-vaccine now. She's anti-schedule, which that's okay in itself. Uh, but Well, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean... No, that's yeah. of course okay. But yeah. the, the thing is, first of all, if you're going to say that a vaccine causes autism, then that should mean that you can treat it. You know, if you can identify a cause, then you should be able to work out a, a treatment for it. And there's all there's all been all sorts of other things about gut bacteria and autoimmune and, and gluten and all sorts of other connections with autism. But to make this sort of blanket statement that yeah. it, it's vaccines and it's just this, anyway, we could just go on and on. But basically, yeah, it's flu season, it's vaccine season, and 
there are all sure. sorts of things going around and people should be very careful. Yeah. And it's also important, I, I just, a lot of people don't understand that herd immunity concept, which is that you really do need to have a community that is vaccinated so that the ones yeah. that really, that don't, which should be less than 5%, they are protected as well. Yeah, right. So anyway, that's, uh, that's. Yeah, a, well, I, I was heartened to read that a lot of doctors just do not see patients that will not take on children who, yes. are, who are not vaccinated. And I think that is the way to go because most of those affluent people want a doctor you know admittedly they may go to a holistic doctor but then that's you know what can you do right anyway we're getting we're digressing yeah no but so that's that's our our little political i guess discussion for the week um and uh everyone i hope that uh we still you know we'd love to hear everyone's thoughts of course yeah great to have a discussion going i'd love to know why people choose not to so that's right that's right yeah Well, okay, so on that note, uh, thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll be right back with (laughs) episode 97. (laughs) All right, thank you. Now I'm speaking with Michael Gelb, who is the author of several books, uh, one of which was called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, Seven Steps to Genius Every Day. And his most recent book, which just came out this month, is called Creativity on Demand, How to Ignite and Sustain the Fire of Genius. So, uh, Michael, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. So let, let's talk about what you do, first of all. Let's tell, let, just tell everybody sort of like what your thing is. <laughs> <laughs> My thing is to help people be more creative, both individually, personally, and then to help organizations, especially large companies from whom I actually learn, earn most of my living, uh, develop more creative cultures, create organizations that are more humanistic, conscious, compassionate, that bring out the talents and abilities and the fulfillment of the people in those organizations, ideally to serve a higher purpose beyond just earning money. Uh, We've discovered that companies that have a higher vision, that are more creative, that think about the welfare of all stakeholders involved in their enterprise are actually more profitable. So that's my thing. <laughs> I, I know. And I, that's great. I, I, like, I like asking some of those sort of open-ended questions a little bit. That's great. I, I, and I think that, that's a good, way to, it's a good way to get you to explain how you see it. So, okay. First of all, maybe you know, it's going to sound like a weird question, but why do we care about creativity? Well, the world's so complex that if we want to have fulfilling lives personally, if we want our organizations to be able to compete globally – uh, creativity is no longer a luxury item. You know, when the world was more static, when organizations had more bureaucratic structures, uh, you could just sort of delegate creativity to the marketing department and maybe to the research and development uh, team. But now it's something that everybody needs. A recent survey by IBM of 1,500 CEOs. They asked the CEOs, what's the single most important quality that you're looking for in your people today? Creativity was their number one answer. That's interesting. Okay. So now it's funny, but for me, I've never ever thought of myself as a creative person, but in my role, what I'm really doing nowadays is creating content. That's all I'm doing, is essentially. These interviews that I do with people like yourself, when I write things for my blog posts or my books, it really is about curating and creating content. So in essence, I have become more of a creative person than I, I thought I was before. So 
what are the things, oh, and, and this is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about specifically, is that I've always heard that you really can't train creativity, that it's just either you have it or you don't, right? And, and the only sort of tweak to that that I've heard of is like the Montessori education system, which helps to foster creativity at a very young age. But is, how do you feel about that? Do you think you can really? I mean, I know that the whole thing is about creativity on demand, but do you think as an overall thing, are people sort of born with creativity and not? Well, first of all, everybody's born born with creativity. Uh, every child is wildly curious, passionately focused on learning and exploring their environment, uh, tremendously imaginative. Kids' drawings are always so filled with life and energy. And then they go to school and they get de-geniused. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, my, my, my thing, another way to talk about my thing is I, I'm a re-geniuser. <laughs> and you know, it's it's we used to think that your intellectual abilities, <laughs> your creativity, were pretty much limited at age seven, when most of brain development is completed. Moreover, we used to believe that after age thirty, your brain began to decline, your intelligence and creativity began to decline, and there was nothing you could do about it. And that was the understanding of neuroscience about 30 or 40 years ago. But that has changed dramatically. Neuroscientists are not the kind of people who make up new words casually. <laughs> uh, and yet they've, they've come up with these two new words. One that most people have heard about now is neuroplasticity. Yeah. Neuro means brain cell, plasticity means changeable. So we've learned that the brain can change and grow and continue to improve throughout life. The other word that's even more revolutionary is neurogenesis. Genesis meaning birth. In other words, you can grow and develop new brain cells and even more importantly, new connections between the 100 billion brain cells that you have throughout life. So then the only question is, what are the best ways to do that? If you want to develop your creative ability, how do you do it? Well, creativity on demand is my best thinking after 35 years of exploring this on what the average person can do to become more creative every day for the rest of their lives. So what, without obviously giving away all your content, what are some of the, the low-hanging fruit and maybe things that we can get out of our, our way that help us be more creative? Or what are, some of, what are some of those big triggers that you find help people a lot? Well, the first one is, is, is we've, been, we've been discussing it indirectly, but let's just state it clearly. It's recognizing that creativity is a skill that you can indeed develop. Because if you think you're not creative and you don't think you can cultivate it, that's a fait accompli. Yeah. If you if you start to say, well, maybe I can develop this, and what do I need to do? Right away, you'll be more creative. Uh, you also gave a big clue in your own development of creativity when you talked about the curiosity that you have developed in curating these interviews, and that curiosity has led you to ask questions that are inspiring and creative both for yourself and the people you, you converse with and then those who get to share these conversations. And it's not surprising that curiosita is the first principle for thinking like Leonardo da Vinci. And it's our birthright. So how do you wake up your curiosity as a grown-up? How do you recover that, that passionate curiosity that you were born with? Well, 
we go into how to do that in creativity on demand, but there's an underlying issue that's even perhaps more powerful uh, that I focus on in this new book. And that is what's really fascinating about the, the child's uh, state is, is the amazing energy. I mean, kids are just filled with this beautiful, exquisite, overflowing, abundant life energy. And what happens to most grown-ups is they get less enthusiastic, less passionate, less energetic, and their creativity suffers, as does their overall fulfillment. So the real aha, the epiphany that inspired creativity on demand was my recognition that energy is the missing link for many people. Even if I teach you how to develop a creative mindset, which I do in, in the new book. And if I teach you the absolute best methods for generating more ideas and making greater connections between those ideas, which I also do in these pages, you're not going to really do that if you don't have the energy. So I, I went around to some of the great masters of energy cultivation and I asked them, What's your most powerful practice that the average person can do in 20 minutes or less to raise their baseline of creative energy? And the book is filled with the best of what I learned. Well, so first of all, is there a way to measure that? You're changing your baseline, or is there a way to measure that? Well, the best way to measure it is subjective. It's, it's how you feel. Right. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of research on this. Uh, you know, the Harvard... Uh, Women's Health Newsletter recently called some of these techniques not just meditation in motion, but medication in motion. So a lot of these are now evidence-based techniques. They're things that improve your balance. They uh, strengthen your immune system, your cardiovascular functioning. But the thing that the, the criteria that I'm most interested in that they use in these uh, scientific studies is what they call perceived sense of well-being. In other words, how good do you feel? Because <laughs> I, what I explain to people uh, when I, when I, you know, because I work with lots of uh, PhDs and MDs and uh, MBAs and, and people with uh, very strong analytical backgrounds, not necessarily oriented towards uh, body mind disciplines. Uh, so I give them some of the scientific background, some of the research behind these practices. But what I say is, look, you don't have to believe this. Just follow along, do this practice for 20 minutes. And tell me if you feel better or not. And they just don't, you know, they feel better right away. I mean, you do these practices. They've been, they've been developed over 5,000 years. So there, there's a, a lot of wisdom and refinement behind them. But, you know, perceived sense of well-being is, is what it's all about. Well, can you, can you tell us a little bit about that 20-minute practice? Well, there, there's there are quite a few of them. But yeah. I'll give you an example of, of, of one of my favorites. It's called the Three Treasures Standing Meditation. And there are many versions of this, but the one I put in the book uh, is the one that I learned from one of the great masters of energy cultivation, a gentleman named Robert Penn, who's a Chinese lineage master of Qigong, which is the Chinese word for energy cultivation. And in the Three Treasures Standing Meditation, you stand in a upright, balanced, comfortable position and just standing in that upright balanced comfortable position is in itself 
a remarkably harmonizing, balancing, and calming practice. But then you bring your attention to your what the uh, Chinese call the upper center. It's the center of your thinking, of your inspiration, of your insight. And you do a simple visualization in which you imagine expanding the energy around that upper center, the center of which is right in the middle of your brain. And you place your hands above your head in a position that it kind of feels like you're becoming an antenna for the energy of inspiration. And in the beginning, we have people just do this for a minute. Uh, then they shift their hands so that the hands are in front of their lower center by your uh, lower belly, which is the center of vitality. And you do a simple visualization where you expand the energy around that center of vitality and you draw the energy of the earth up through your legs into that lower center. Then your hands float up so that they're basically uh, like you're hugging a tree right in front of uh, uh, your heart center. And now you expand the energy in a simple visualization, which we guide you through in the book, uh, to expand that energy around your heart center and become more receptive to the energy of compassion and kindness and love. Then your hands come along the center line of your body and you connect to the energy. There's a, a, a meridian, a channel that runs right through the core of your being from the top of your head right through the middle of you, down through your perineum. It, it, it connects you energetically between the earth and the sky above. And you bring your attention to this central channel and you integrate the energy of wisdom and inspiration with the vital energy that fuels all your endeavors and the compassionate energy that makes sure what you're doing is in service and, and aligned with kindness. And you align these around your spirit. And it is so simple, so powerful. You can do it in, in less than 20 minutes. And it's just, a, it's a tune up for every aspect of your being. That sounds very cool. Uh, and so you say basically you would do that and then you would go right into your writing or your music or whatever it might be. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is, or your or your uh, presentation you need to prepare, ah. or the article you need to write, or the uh, uh, podcast you need to to, to uh, generate. Right. Whatever it is you do, this will align your energy. Uh, you know, when you do it, uh, most people feel they say, "Wow, I, I just feel more connected. I feel more integrated. I feel more balanced, and I have more energy." <laughs> so, and I love that, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And the truth is, is even if there, I mean, I'm not saying that there is, but even if there's like a placebo effect to that, I feel like you can create almost anything to be a trigger to get into creativity, but this sounds like a more focused one than a lot of others. Well, that's uh, the idea. Is that these are some of the most focused, profound, powerful methods that have been devised over thousands of years, and I just had this inspiration, let's link them to the practices of the creative mindset and the creative process so that you get super focused, super energized, and, and you're just ready to rock and roll to fulfill whatever your highest creative dream really is. Okay, so now is this the same process that you would go through 
uh, if you actually, oh, I don't know if this is the right way to put this, but like if you have writer's block, you know, so it's not just like I need a trigger and I want to get it to work. It's like I'm really stuck. Would it be the same thing? Well, you'd never have, if, if you read this book, you'll never have writer's block. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I mean, writer's block is just a matter of ignorance. Uh, and it's, ah. ignorance, it's ignorance of the creative process. Uh, Please because, explain. Yeah, you know, well, writer's block comes when you, th you think you have to get the right answer now. And then you're blocked because you don't have the right answer. But people who understand the creative process know that you don't try to find the right answer. You let it find you. You just keep generating ideas. You just keep going into the unknown. You embrace ambiguity and uncertainty. You just keep generating. You keep your mind moving. And if your mind feels stuck, you get up and you move your energy doing one of these practices. And then take a break, go for a walk in nature, come back, start anywhere, and then pay attention because at 4 o'clock that morning or next time you take a shower or when you're driving in your car, you're going to go, ah, and you'll make the breakthrough. And when you learn, you know, this is built into the architecture of the mind. And when you learn this, it is so empowering. It will change your life because all of a sudden, you you know you know how to access your your creativity and it's not even a big deal yeah wow okay that's really interesting so i'm curious what you think of this that just happened to me actually that i was it wasn't so much writer's block i needed to write the i had ideas for eight blog posts and i had them all written down and i yep. and they were i thought you know they were good ideas but i just was not able to make myself sort of write the actual post, it just wasn't coming out of me. So what I did for two of them was I got an illustrator to illustrate the idea for me. Uh, uh -huh. And basically, I didn't give any directions. I just said, this is the title. And one of them was the idea of disposable time as like disposable income. And the other one was about the inbox as the to-do list. So I sent these off to this person. And they sent me back these drawings that were completely different representations than I had had in my mind. And I feel like it almost like knocked me off track for a second and then I was able to write them very quickly. Perfect. Well, that's you, you just, so what it is, you disrupted your brain groove, your habitual way of thinking about things. You brought in someone from the outside and used an imaginative technique, literally imaginative comes from the root imaginare, which means to picture internally. You got somebody to create a picture for you, which is one of the techniques we, we guide people to apply. If, you, if you're having trouble generating your ideas and words, shift to pictures. Uh, if you're stuck with pictures, make some sounds. If sounds aren't working, try something kinesthetic. Try some movement. So one of the secrets is just always to get out of your habitual modality and disrupt the set pattern of your thinking, keep the mind moving, and a new connection or relationship will emerge sooner than you usually might expect. Yeah, so the, the, the kinesthetic one is an interesting one. So you obviously just gave an example of that, but I've, all, I've also found that where you know, I was stuck on something and then I went and did like, you know, because my, my office is actually and my gym were sort of combined. So I, I would stop and I'd go and do like 40 squats and then I would go right back to it and that would, that would that would break me out of it. So, so what that says to me is, and, I, and I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that. Well, I mean, you sort of explained this, but we get stuck, right? People just get stuck. 
in like a groove. And why, why, I mean, is that just we're being lazy or it's just easy or what gets people in this groove in a bad well, way? Yeah, a lot of it is just, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's another aspect of the architecture of the mind is it focuses on survival issues first. So we, you know, it's just focused on a lot, you know, where's my next meal coming from? Uh, uh, who loves me? <laughs> Am I accepted? What's my status? There's a lot of hardwired programming that generates the content of a lot of our thoughts. And we have to kick in the higher center of the brain to begin asking questions like, uh, how do I have a meaningful life? What's my higher purpose? How do I serve others? Uh, what, uh, what is beauty? What is truth? What is goodness? How do they all relate to each other? You know, this requires conscious intervention. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, our glory is we have this, this conscious possibility. We have this potential for freedom. And if you want to develop it, you have to focus on it. You have to nurture it. You have to... Uh, cultivate methodologies because when you're not consciously uh, developing it, it will tend to sink back to the lowest common denominator. And I don't know if you saw the uh, recent headline in The Onion, but it stated, lowest common denominator plummets. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, you know, there's a certain inertia that uh, uh, we, we, you know, we have to deal with, and, and that's why we need, we, that's why I write these books, that's why I do these seminars, if everybody knew this and was applying it, uh, and, you know, I'd have to do something else, but they're not, so this is what I do. So, as opposed to the on-demand stuff, what are the kind of habits that you can put into place in general, or, or do you even look at that? I mean, like, do you have a morning routine or a ritual that you sort of go through every day, no matter whether whether or not you're going to do something creative that day, or? Well, I always do something creative. I, I, I realized that as soon as I said yeah. that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah you know, I, I mean, my own practice, uh, when I get up in the morning, I actually have such an abundance of energy. I just can't wait to get to whatever I'm working on, whatever book I'm working on, or design for some seminar for a client or a keynote speech I'm doing. Uh, I just I have an abundance of, of energy. I'm blessed with that. I'm 60 one about to turn 62 and I just have seemingly, uh, well, very, let's just say abundant energy for what I do. Having said that, I, I, nevertheless, I take just a short time, about seven minutes and I do a little meditation in which I just consciously align with my higher purpose. And it's, uh, it's something that's always evolving but that's the real, per the real uh, focus of it is, is just to make a conscious intention for the day. Uh, and then, you know, as I'm, as I'm working, I, I get up regularly. I walk outside. I do my Tai Chi and my uh, Qigong exercises. I practice my juggling. I play some beautiful music. Uh, I drink some fine Chinese tea. I play with my dogs. So I create a nice rhythm through the uh, focus of my workday. And then I usually either go to the gym or go for a walk or a bike ride. And then I do the Wu-style 
Tai Chi long form and I do intensive Qigong practice, usually sometimes for up to an hour and a half uh, at the end of the day. And then I usually cook a fabulous dinner and drink the very best wine that I can afford. Uh, and then I watch comedy on TV and then I do it again the next day. <laughs> so, okay. And I love that. And it sounds, it sounds very nice. And you must come across this with people either when you describe it or when you just tell them about your stuff is that, cause I, I have this issue with people too, is where you have to convince people that the, the non-work stuff is what's going to make their work better. You know, it's uh, getting yes. out of your own way and, and, you know, playing with your dog and taking the time to do the things that aren't, you know, income producing that will well, then. See, yeah, you're, you're exactly right on. It's such a great issue because it's, I think it's an outdated way of thinking about your life and your work. Yeah. If you still think about so-called work-life balance, uh, you've got a problem because most of the people I know are working so intensively that if you haven't figured out how to make your work into play, then you're just suffering and draining your energy. And then, you know, the, even the work hard, play hard is also a disintegrated, dissociated, out of date notion. Play sweetly and work joyfully every single day. And if that's not what you're doing, then apply the techniques in this book to figure out how to change your life so that's what you can do. I, I'm that that yeah. I mean, that just made me pause for a second because I, I I couldn't agree more. It, it's 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 sometimes an uphill battle, but you know, trying to explain to somebody that what you what you give to yourself as a person is going to allow you to pour that into your work or whatever you choose, and it's just going to make everything work better. So investing in yourself is really the best thing, in some ways. It, it is it's making a long-term investment in yourself too. I mean, I've, I've guided my clients over the years when I teach them mind mapping, which is one of the great techniques for generating and organizing ideas, which we explore in creativity on demand. And the first exercise I get them to do uh, after they copy a mind map that I've made. So they learn how to do it in a way that's technically uh, most helpful. The first mind map I get them to make by themselves is a mind map of a dream vacation. I get them to imagine they have unlimited money and three weeks of completely free time. Where would they go? What would they do? And I get them to map it out. And then after they map it out, and it seems wild, their wildest dreams of where they go, what they do, I say, actually, I want you to make a plan to really do this, at least part of it, within the next year. And I've been teaching this to people now for 35 years, so many, many people have done this. And everyone who's ever done it says, I can't tell you how much it enriched my life. I've become a much more global thinker. I have a much larger perspective. And it's just one simple example of doing something that seems like a wild indulgence. You know, people say, well, I'll, I'll travel the world or I'll go see the Taj Mahal when I retire. Well, that's not the way to think about it. Do the thing that you've always wanted to do as soon as you possibly can, and you'll be a more global, more creative, more visionary leader. I've never, I've never heard of anybody who went off and did the thing they always wanted to do or started meditating or started doing Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga or hiking or going to the gym or any of any self-nurturance practice who 
lost their job and lost their way because they became too self-indulgent. You know, most of my clients are, they're, they're, we all grew up with the, the Protestant Puritan work ethic. And, and believe me, I actually prefer working with people who have that ethic and then helping them find more balance than people who don't have an achievement orientation and need to be motivated to actually work harder. I, I never come across those people because they don't have enough money to hire me. <laughs> but if you think about the Puritans, if you think about the Puritans, these were people who thought that the English were too wild and crazy and too much fun, so they had to come here so they could wear these black and white costumes and, and be a little bit more dour and uh, serious and unhappy. So that's, that's the mindset that drives a lot of our working culture, and it's time for that to evolve. I like that. I mean, you said self-nurturing, so I, I, I couldn't, I mean, that's, that's what I talk about a lot of people, and I think that that's a, a, the perfect way to put it. It's just that self-nurturing, and you're nurturing creativity, you're nurturing uh, financial success, you're nurturing freedom, all that stuff. So uh, we're, we're running out of time now, actually. I, I completely lost track of time. I'm really loving this discussion. If you could, just the last question that I always ask people in the interviews is what are your top three personal tips for people in, to be more productive, be more effective, rather. Oh, so, that's perfect. Yeah, okay. it's perfect because uh, the, the the book is divided into three sections, which is uh, the way I approach the, my three most powerful tips, uh, which are the things that I do and that I recommend you do. And, and the three sections of the book are mastering creative energy, mastering the creative mindset, and mastering the creative process. So first, learn how to develop your baseline of creative energy. Learn the 10 keys to a creative mindset. They're all attitudes that you can cultivate every day. And then learn the tools of the creative process. Learn mind mapping and stream of consciousness writing, uh, the 100 questions exercise. Learn how to access your higher intuition and link it with your gut feeling. Uh, learn the five phases of the creative process. Learn the nine thinking hats. There's six from Edward de Bono and three that I added. So, yeah, master creative energy, master the creative mindset, master the creative process. I like that. Perfect. Succinct. Uh, all right. So we're going to have links to all your stuff in the show notes and, and your books, of course. But what's the best place you can just tell us for people to find out more about you? MichaelGelb.com. G-E-L-B. MichaelGelb.com makes it easy so thank you michael for your time that's been really it's been a great conversation and i really appreciate your time my pleasure thank you hey everyone it's felix here thanks for taking the time to listen in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast we always like to hear your feedback please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about ari's elite group coaching mastermind group as well as the less doing university which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too also if you love the show please take a moment to leave us a positive review on itunes thanks a lot and we'll see you next week